Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Welcome everyone to PodPoint's first Capital Markets Day. Thank you to those in the room that have joined us here. And welcome to those of you that are joining via the web. Um, I'm Andy Palmer, and I've been CEO of PodPoint since the start of August, having previously been a non-executive director on the board of PodPoint, uh, actually senior independent director. When I took on this role, I found a business with some great characteristics, qualities, and some great people a market-leading position in EV home charging, and a well-known brand, but lacking strategic focus and having somewhat honestly rested upon its laurels. I've tried to be the catalyst for change, introducing more accountability, more of a performance culture, and an openness and understanding of getting things done at pace. And I hope that that will be evident today when we talk about this. When we set the date of this Capital Markets Day, we knew we would be running hard to deliver a completely new strategic plan and transformation programme. The amount of work and effort that has been undertaken to get us to this position, to share with you all today, what I know the board knows is an extremely robust strategy for the group, has honestly been phenomenal. Thank you. I want to take the opportunity to thank all of my colleagues for their fantastic work, hard work, dedication, and an openness to embracing change. It sometimes feels uncomfortable, but it's been necessary, and myself, the executives, and the board are excited to both present our new strategy today and to deliver on this plan that we call powering up. Today, you're going to mainly hear from myself and David, David Wolf, the group CFO. But I've also asked a couple of our other senior execs to present their respective areas of expertise in terms of our product roadmap from Aryan, who's our CTO, and our Energy Flex with Pilgrim, VP of Grid. Alongside those of us that will be presenting today, the entire executive team are here in the audience, as is Gareth, our chairman. And we'll go through the presentation. While I will be presenting some of their work, I will ask the executive team members to stand up so I can introduce them. So let's start with David, Pilgrim, um, Aryan, Hilary, Daniel, Dan, Graham, Karen, Hilary Scott. <laughs> we have a lot of Hilary's. <laughs> um, Michael, Michael J, Hazel. Hazel's done an awful a lot of the work in getting us here today, so thank you, Hazel, and Joe. Um, can I also uh, pick out uh, Phil Clark, wherever Phil is, uh, our, our head of IR, 
Eva Dreisen, wherever Eva's here, um, who's been helping us with our overseas strategy. And, and I can't uh, let it pass without just mentioning Bain in the room. So we've got Cassie, we've got Danny, and we've got David somewhere up in the heavens. Thank you. At the end of the presentation, we'll have plenty of time for questions and the team will all be available uh, to meet with you if you'd like. So we are extremely excited about the opportunity ahead of us for PodPoint. We're full of confidence in our ability to deliver and the organization has been sculptured around its execution. Our plan is to focus on core strengths of the business, areas where we have demonstrable position to win from our customers, from our business partners, and in areas with high demand and high long-term growth potential. And for reasons that will become obvious, in an area of business that has long customer dwell time. We're not starting from scratch. Remember, we have the largest EV charging network in the UK. We have a brand with the highest prompted brand awareness and with enviable customer satisfaction scores. And we have a broad array of great business partners, be it the leading OEMs in Europe or the largest house builders in the UK or industry leasing companies. They all recognize what it offers and all want to work with us. The reason that the board and I are so excited about this business is because we are playing in a huge value pool that is only going to get bigger as the energy transition to electricity gathers pace. Podpoint is operating in huge markets with no established leaders. EV adoption is accelerating and EVs are becoming a larger part of the EU car park. The need for charging is getting more urgent and grid management is becoming harder as an increased amount of energy is coming from renewables. Helping energy companies and energy retailers with grid management is valuable today. We'll share some stats later, but will become more valuable in the future. Our strategy, powering up is based on a refocus on our core strengths. This is home and workplace. We have leadership positions here already. We know how to win in these segments. With a reinvigorated UK business, we will expand selectively into international markets with a low risk capital light approach, initially with EDF distribution companies. We're leveraging existing infrastructure, and as you'll hear later, with the same product and predominantly the same team. The home and workplace focus maximizes our customer lifetime value potential with energy flex and recurring revenues. This refocus on home and workplace will drive simplification within our group structure that has become overly complicated for a business of our size. This will unlock tangible cost savings and will drive efficiencies around time to market, particularly on product, speed of execution. 
We're refreshing our product offer. Arch 5, the unit in front of you, is on track from much earlier uh, market launch than initially expect expected, thanks to that focus. And we've rebuilt the tech and product roadmap, which was seriously lacking six months ago. And we're maximizing our relationship with EDF. EDF fully supports our strategy and have signed up to being an enabler to execution in terms of our international expansion and our build out of our energy flex opportunities. Combined, these interconnected work streams all build volume, which will drive our bill of materials and unlock operational efficiency and cost reduction. Over time, an increasing percentage of our revenues will be reoccurring. And later, David will provide you with our financial plan and roadmap that shows a path to profitability, and in particular, a path to sustainable free cash flow generation. Here you can see our strategic plan on one page. This is a focused and resilient strategy. Our purpose, our vision, and our mission have been updated. Our aim is to make living with an EV easy and affordable for everyone. The decarbonisation of the global economy can't just be about the few. We're setting an ambition of having one million customers in a profitable network. We have a roadmap that takes us there. As you're here in the rest of the presentation, we have three pillars to our plan. We will maintain and expand our market leadership in home and workplace. We'll take our leading position in the UK and leverage EDF, amongst others, into selected EU markets. We're driving energy flex value and recurring revenues and accelerate our customer lifetime value flywheel. We will strip costs out of our bill of materials, out of our operating costs, and out of our development costs. The output is attractive. High growth, we see a 20% plus CAGR for revenues and a four times increase in our customer base by 2030. Building out of high margin recurring revenues, 25% of our group revenues will come from recurring revenue and energy flex. EBITDA positive in 2026, free cash flow positive in 2027. It's an ambitious strategy. It's a coherent and logical strategy, and it's the right strategy for success. The Podpoint brand is strong and it's resilient. This is built around customer satisfaction and value for money. Our Trustpilot scores remain strong at 4.3 stars, and we get consistently great customer feedback on reviews.io with a rating of 4.6. We have by far the largest number of reviews 
on both platforms. We've won the prestigious Best Home Charger Award from Watcar in the summer. And Podpoint is the only ChargePoint provider with trusted trader status from which. We fundamentally believe that the brand is a key attribute to win in flex. Being trusted by the consumer is key. Some of our brand attributes, as shown in the recent YouGov survey, show that Podpoint stands for ease of use and reliability. We have the highest score on purchase consideration across all competitors. BP Pulse, our closest peer in the survey, have now, as you know, exited the market. And the latest IPSO survey shows we have a dominant position in the minds of our consumers, helped in part from our partnerships across multiple routes to market. The two most important sources of information for consumers are car dealers and the OEMs, and we have great relationships in both areas. Podpoint has a breadth and depth of strong partnerships across many industrial groups that open multiple distribution channels for us. Our car OEM relationships are well established, working with most of the top 20 players, as are those with fleet and leasing players, although I have to say remain underpenetrated with both. Recently, we signed an extension of our relationship with Mercedes, and you'll have seen that press release at 10.30 this morning. We're seeing great momentum with the house builders, having signed key new commercial deals with Barrett, Taylor Wimpy, and Bellway in recent months. And we've recently had a number of wins within the car dealership segment including with Westway and Halloway Jones. You don't need to just take my word for it that we have great partnerships. Here are a few testimonials from a range of our partners on one slide, and we have many similar comments. As we committed back at our interims, we've completely reworked our market share model with the support of Bain. We now have a much clearer view of market size. The opportunity set for Podpoint and our relative position within the market. The new methodology takes into account our share of total EV installations rather than the previous view, which was a share of the EV registrations which you can imagine as the market becomes more mature, is rather flawed. In terms of headlines, we've maintained a fairly stable market share performance since H2 of 2022, with a very modest uptick in H1 2023, which has continued to stabilise as we've entered into H2 2023. And as you'll hear later, we are addressing three core areas to improve our market share in 2024 and beyond. This chart clearly shows the significance of the home market 
segment within the UK in terms of demand year to date. While workplace is a small share of the overall market, later we'll explain its strategic importance and its logic for us also being in that market. We now have over 222,000 charge points in the United Kingdom, giving us by far the largest network. We've seen some new entrants, but we have over 35% market share in the UK today. This connected network is, in our view, critical for unlocking recurring revenue and grid management revenue opportunities over time. And we will continue to grow our network at pace. Today, we have the same nameplate capacity as a sm small nuclear power station. Here we show industry expectations for growth and installed base of charges across the UK segments. Home remains the largest and most significant segment throughout the period. Workplace shows the fastest growth, albeit from a low starting point. Combined, we are focused on 60 to 70% of the UK market. In addition, there is product commonality across home and workplace. There are other segments that on the face of it look attractive in terms of size and growth, but there are significant operational and technical complexities with other segments. Furthermore, the long dwell time of home and workplace segments makes them especially attractive from an energy flex opportunity. International expansion is an important part of powering up. All our main UK peers are in selective European markets. And with EDF, we believe we have a low risk, capital light operating model that is attractive for all of our stakeholders. It allows us to achieve incremental volumes that will help underpin cost efficiency across the group. We've assessed the market attractiveness for Podpoint across a number of criteria and have looked at the most relevant countries. Fundamentally, attractiveness and ease of entry have been our criteria. Within this, availability of government subsidies is also important, and this is particularly relevant for Spain. We've assessed flex, given its importance to our strategy and our customer value flywheel. And we've considered ability to leverage relationships, both in terms of production with Celestica and in terms of distribution. We're leveraging the relationship with EDF and have signed agreements with ISI, which is a subsidiary of, of EDF in France, and likewise Luminous in Belgium. There's a limited incremental investment required within Podpoint as we can use this Arch 5 charger and we only need a small number of additional heads in a couple of areas of our operation. Talked a lot about grid load management, about flex, and now I'm going to hand over to Pilgrim, our VP of grid, that will go a little bit deeper. Pilgrim. Thanks very much, Andy. So yes, I'm Pilgrim Beert. Um, I'm a technology innovator and entrepreneur. 
For example, I started a company called Alert Me, which became the basis of British Gas Hive. And we sold the company to British Gas uh, for about $100 million in 2015. I joined Podpoint seven months ago to lead the uh, GridFlex initiative, which is very exciting. So just to give you a bit of background about Flex, the key thing about the grid is that supply and demand have to balance from second to second. And on the supply side, as Andy said, the UK is moving towards 100% renewable supply, wind and solar. And obviously, you can't just turn them up and down like you could with fossil fuel generation. So who cares about this? Well, the national grid care because they want supply and demand to balance from second to second and make sure the lights don't go out. The distribution system operators care. They run the local parts of the grid. And some of those parts don't have strong connections to the rest of the grid. The wires get too hot when there's too much supply or too much demand. And the energy retailers care because they have to buy the electricities their customers use from the wholesale markets. And they try to buy a year or so ahead. But sometimes their customers use more than they'd anticipated. And they have to make up the difference by buying on the spot market where prices can be 10 or even 100 times higher. So they're looking for ways not to have to do that. So we're moving from a world where um, supply followed demand to a world where demand now has to follow supply. And we're used to that perhaps in the idea of heavy industry with aluminium smelters sometimes pausing um, when there's not enough energy on the grid. But now in businesses and in homes, we're looking at the thousands, the millions of assets, which in aggregate represent a huge flex potential. And of course, EV charging is a big part of that. Okay, so to just look at flex in a little more detail, and in particular, how can flex enable the transition to EVs and the transition to renewables? So in the center, you can see the demand curve of the typical UK home. You can see there are peaks in the morning and the evening. And if I come back at 6 o'clock and plug in my EV and charge it then, obviously I'm making that evening peak even bigger. But there's actually a much bigger issue if we look at the curve on the left, which is the supply curve from renewables. This is just one day this year, 1st of July. You can see there was a lot of sun that day, an unusually small amount of wind actually. But the key point is that that curve on the left looks nothing like the curve in the middle. And yet they have to be the same because supply and demand have to balance. So how are we going to do that? Well, looking on the right of this chart, one solution is what we call flex. So here we have a car charging on Tuesday at nighttime in the off-peak hours. And then on Wednesday, it starts to do exactly the same. But then the amount of wind on the network drops. And so we can pause the charging in order to give the grid an easy time. And then sometime later, when the wind picks up, we can resume charging to make up the difference. So we can view this as shifting demand to maximize our use of renewables and make life easy for the grid. The flex markets in the UK are relatively well established and growing fast. So to give you some idea of some of them, Demand Flexibility Service, this is known in the popular press as the big turndown, you may have heard about it. Uh, it's a winter program trying to get people to reduce their consumption on certain winter peaks, it's sort of in the evening, six o'clock. The distribution system operators, the DSOs, uh, have these constrained zones, and they have millions of pounds available to solve the constraint problem. And they can either spend that money putting copper in the ground, which is very slow and expensive, or they can pay us to flex and solve the problem that way by reducing the peaks. Wholesale trading is about those energy suppliers who haven't bought enough electricity ahead of time and don't want to buy it on the spot market. So again, they can turn to us to turn down demand a little bit and solve the problem that way. 
Now, if the energy suppliers don't solve the problem that way, and there's still an imbalance between supply and demand within the day, then the national grid can take whatever's action, whatever action is necessary um, to keep the lights on and to keep supply and demand balanced. And one of the things they can do is to pay us to flex to keep things in balance. The capacity market is a kind of last resort lever that the grid can pull if it's really in trouble. It's never actually been called in the UK yet, but you can get availability payments just for being ready to flex in extremis. And non-energy costs pay for things like pylons, which again are driven by peak consumption, which we can reduce with flex. So in that middle chart, we believe that the flex market in the UK is set to grow strongly for the rest of this decade at least. And that's because adding renewables on the system is increasing volatility. And the UK is missing its targets for generation and for grid reinforcement. And generally, as everything becomes electrified, the grid's going to come under more and more strain. So what's the value of flex? There's some big numbers floating around from industry experts as high as 600 or 800 pounds per charge point per year. And to some extent, that is the right number if you start off with the assumption that everyone's going to plug their EVs in at 6 o'clock. So that's, that's your starting point that you're trying to flex from. But in fact, that's not the case. We can see from our customer data that most people charge their cars most of the time in the middle of the night off-peak using scheduled charging just because it's much cheaper. So to take that existing behavior into account, we took all of our data for 2022, which is terabytes of data, and we applied it against a whole year of market data, the wholesale trading data and the GridFlex reward programs to work out, you know, in theory, if we'd been able to maximally flex all of our assets over that time within the limits of when the cars were plugged in, how much flex value could we have created? And we came up with a number of about 250 for home, slightly less for workplace. Now, we're not going to keep all that money ourselves, unfortunately. Um, we have to give some of it to our grid partners who have helped us to access the Flex. And of course, we also want to reward the customer for participating in Flex programs. So we estimate that once we've got into all Flex markets, the total value of Flex to us per charge point per year is in the region of 40 to 50 pounds. And of course, that is recurring revenue year after year. So who will the customer trust to do their Flex to manage their charging? Well, they might trust an energy retailer. And Octopus have certainly been doing very well with Intelligent Octopus. But as the market is now moving to the mainstream customer, there's a lot of evidence that they're quite skeptical that energy retailers will act in their interests to help them save money. Well, they might turn to their EV OEMs, who certainly have the ability to stop and start the charging of cars, and they have reasonable brand loyalty. <coughs> But what OEMs typically don't have is the ability to execute a service proposition, which is what Flex is. So we think PodPoint occupies a space where we have the best of both worlds. We have the ability to control EV charging, but we also have a strong brand that's well aligned with the interests of the customer. The fact that we sold you a charging point doesn't guarantee that you'll give us your Flex, but it certainly provides a great start to that relationship. And now back to Andy. I spoke earlier about sculpting an organization um, to deliver what we're talking about delivering. I'm sure you'll agree that Pilgrim is a great addition to our team. Bringing it all together becomes inevitable to us. The segments to prioritize and focus on are home and workplace, the top right-hand corner of this chart. They have the highest dwell times to ensure 
maximum flex opportunity, and they both <coughs> offer high growth opportunities. We have a right to win in these segments, and we already have the largest home charging market share and the largest network. There's also a lot of commonality of product, and the installation process is technically similar and straightforward. Let me be clear. The opportunity ahead of us is attractive and has the potential to create significant shareholder value. However, we will not capture this with status quo. I was clear and transparent with my assessment of PodPoint at the interims when I took over as CEO. If we don't change, we'll have a very challenging future. We will change, and we have a very clear transformation plan. And the next few slides will provide you with an insight and detail of what we're going to do. As I showed you earlier, our new vision is to have 1 million customers in a profitable network. This is a long way from where we start, with 2023 seeing growth challenges for the business and significant EBITDA losses. Powering up builds on our strengths of leadership in home charging. A well-known and well-regarded brand and our largest shareholder being an enabler of our strategic transformation. We've specifically tailored our strategy to take advantage of these strengths and build on the opportunities ahead of us in terms of EVs becoming a significant part of the car park. Energy flex requirements and a low cost, low risk expansion into high growth selected European markets. To date, PodPoint has been a little guilty of going after market segments that have added operational or technical complexity and adding low return on investments. Empowering up, we'll focus on UK home and workplace and capital light international growth opportunities. Key will be a refresh of our products refocus of our sales and marketing efforts, and leveraging our EDF relationships in terms of entering selected international markets. Through these actions, we've arrested our market share declines, and we will return to volume growth. Operational and product simplification will allow cost out. Later, David will share targets in terms of cost savings. The third leg of the strategy is capturing more recurring revenues and energy flex revenues. We've already secured our first energy flex revenues in the second half of 2023. And today, you will have seen, we announced a new agreement with Centrica to enhance our revenues from this area and start a six-month trial in the balancing market. And we've signed an LOI with EDF for Energy Flex services. We really are rapidly building momentum in this area. As I explained earlier, our brand is perfectly placed to be the consumer champion 
and we're excited to share the value created from Energy Flex with our customers. Not a topic for today, but we have some interesting strategic and commercial ideas of how to further enhance our Flex ecosystem that include both home battery and solar. Again, today at 10.30, we announced collaboration with Gozhen, the third largest battery manufacturer in China, Inabat, a European battery manufacturer, and Brill Power, an electronics battery control manufacturer, in order to start this journey. Our customer lifetime value flywheel is shown here. It's built on the basis of a strong and trusted consumer brand and our differentiated strategy and key advantages reinforced by EDF. Our brand and diverse routes to market bring new customers into our network. The growth of our network creates more options in terms of energy flex. We can then reinvest the gains from energy flex market into our customer propositions, hence making our brand and network more compelling. EDF can enable faster growth in terms of our network as a distribution partner in the <coughs> European markets, as well as providing expertise in the energy flex market. The previous PodPoint leadership team did not take advantages of these capabilities, but we will. Fundamentally, PodPoint has leadership in the home segment. This makes sense given the strength of our brand and our strong partnerships, be it OEMs, house builders, car dealerships, or leasing companies. We show up where consumers are considering purchasing an EV charger. Through EDF, we have an attractive gateway into the home segment in key EU markets, and combined, this will build volumes and drive bomb and operational efficiencies. As I said earlier, by focusing on the long dwell time segments, we can capture flex revenues. For us, workplace is a natural segment alongside home. The installation process and the product requirements are very similar. Dwell time is long and the ability to capture flex revenues is similarly high. It does mean that we're stepping away from a number of segments that PodPoint currently operates in. Fleet depots, public charging, rapid charging, and multi-tenancy dwellings are all segments that we will be exiting over a period of time. For us, these are more complex segments with different product specifications and more complex installation processes. Our contribution margin analysis shows that these are lower margin segments for PodPoint, and we do not see the flex value opportunities in these segments. We have a lot of assets that form part of the core of our brand. Industry awards, excellent customer services, high trust pilot scores, high purchasing intent, and great installer app experiences. However, there's more to be done. 
We are upgrading our brand assets and some of our capabilities, including talent, process, and infrastructure. And perhaps you heard our radio advertising, which is the first time that we did above the line marketing. We've put together a fully joined up market communication plan, and we're pushing much more into digital marketing to align with our core segments, including, of course, a more ROI focus. We have exciting plans to leverage a number of partnerships. There's a lot happening in the months ahead, and obviously watch this space. Our international expansion is not a replication of what we have in the UK. We've devised a strategy that is low risk and capital light. We will be supplying units into distribution partners in France and Belgium, two markets that you will recall scored highly in our market assessment. We will be supplying into EDF distribution businesses. Furthermore, we're in advanced talks in both Italy and Spain, two more of those highly attractive markets. Podpoint will not do installation and will not have in-house customer service. The product will be the Arch 5 unit that you see in front of you. And there are almost no fixed costs associated with this expansion, but we do get incremental volumes. Sales and marketing in the large part will leverage existing capabilities, although we will hire a small wholesale team of a handful of people. Now I've talked a lot about Arch 5, um, our new product, and I'm gonna hand over to Aryan, who is our CTO, to talk to you about our new product roadmap, and in particular, our up and coming product launch. Aryan. Thank you, Andy. Uh, let me introduce myself. Um, I started at PopPoint uh, seven months ago to lead uh, technology. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur most of my career, like Pilgrim. Um, I've founded four leading companies. And for the last seven years, I've been involved in EV charging business. Uh, I sold over 500,000 uh, charging points, uh, mostly through uh, channels uh, like selling for, for home segments, but also through automotive, uh, leading automotive customers uh, in Europe. Gaining market share starts with having uh, leading uh, products. Uh, and to get there, we started an accelerated uh, development of the fifth generation uh, charging station, uh, Arch 5, like Andy uh, explained. <coughs> this is a very important step. And for the first time, we've started to embrace industry standards, such as OCPP, the Open Charge Point Protocol, and this is enormously important for some of our routes to market like B2B and B2B2C. And it's also tremendously important for addressing the international markets uh, because certainly outside the UK and in, in Europe, uh, the adoption of OSPP has seen as a mandatory step to do business. I'm super happy that we are able to bring this technology to the market at the beginning of next year uh, and will also transform the app, the experience that we have with our customers from managing a charging station to become really an energy-centric app so that we can engage with our customers around energy and flex benefits. Uh, it's super important that we make this step because step-by-step step, charging, EV charging will be more about the optimization of how do I manage my electricity. The new generation will also come with 
solar charging, which means that we can charge a plus solar generation, and rather than giving that back to the grid, we will actually charge your car with this surplus energy. And we'll also increase our installer experience. We'll create a dedicated installer app, which is super important to create more reliable installations, but also to engage and have a better customer journey for third-party installers, which is, again is very important for some of our routes to market, and certainly also internationally, as Andy uh, explained. So these are really important steps for next year. Uh, in the following year, we'll bring two complete new brand products, uh, one home charger and a workplace charger. The workplace charger itself will also be a benefit for the home charging segment because it will be used as an advanced charger for some of the more complicated use cases, such as domestic fleet options. But next to that will also bring workplace software. So for example, uh, we will have a workplace portal, so a facility manager could log in to manage the fleet and make sure that the reimbursements of the employees is done in an automated way. Uh, so these will be uh, combinations that we bring together with the workplace charger to the market uh, next year. For the following years, we actually are developing an integrated battery solution. And this is a very important step uh, because it allows us, of course, to bring more advanced uh, charging scenarios. Uh, you can charge solar into battery, and when you come home, you can charge the battery to your car. But more importantly, it will also allow us to do more flex. Uh, so rather than just having to wait until you plug in uh, at, at five or six when you get home, uh, we can actually also do flex when you're not plugged in. So we can do double flex, uh, a really important step going forward that we can leverage the same framework and setup that we do for flex also in combination with, with battery. Um, Andy explained we're partnering up uh, with, uh, with Goshen, Brill and Innobat to help develop this uh, solution. Another very big step is that the automotive industry is starting to enable bidirectional charging. This means we can actually offer so-called V2G Practically, it will mean that you cannot just charge your car with the charger, but you can actually also charge your house from the car. And this is a big step forward and now allows us to even get more flex benefits in combination with battery and using the battery of the car. Just to, uh, as, a, as a commentary, when I started uh, this journey with the way that our resources were stretched across a lot of different segments, this product would have taken 22 months to develop. By adopting this very focused strategy, concentrating on home and workplace, this product has been delivered in 22 weeks. And, and the reason for that is because of the, the using uh, the focus and the industry uh, approach. And so we've been able to leverage components from the industry to really go faster and really build this, really the second generation of our technology. So for the last years, we've been incrementally building um, and we actually changed uh, most of the inside. Uh, you don't see that on the outside, obviously, uh, although we'll position this as a Solo 3 uh, S product uh, and it will actually have a different color and look and feel. Most of the changes are done on the, on the inside. So what we've actually done is um, the charger itself provides all kinds of safety functions for safe charging, which is the core of the charger. And there's a, a very important element, which is the communication capabilities. So it's talking to energy management in the house, it's talking to our backend, and of course it's communicating with the car. And as particularly that piece we've upgraded is really a tremendous step upwards. 
that you could see there's 10, 10 times more memory, 10 times more speed to be able to do flex, to be able to talk to the car, to do energy management, and really optimize it. So we have actually taken the step to completely rebuild all of the embedded software that is on this device from scratch uh, in a very accelerated way, uh, using industry components on the market, uh, and therefore not just creating a great Art5 product, but really a platform for the future. This is really a big starting point for the future, and I'm super happy that we can make this step, uh, and it will allow us to be much faster to market in the future. Thank you, Arjan. Great. Uh, let me pan back to, uh, to, to Pilgrim. They'll go a little bit uh, deeper on realizing flex value. Yeah, so our plan to realize flex value starts with continuing to scale our network. And the fact that we already have a large network is a huge asset. So flex parties are all very happy to talk to us because they know we've got a lot of flex. And as Andy said, today we can control the equivalent of a small nuclear power station. Secondly, we're building out our technical systems to engage and aggregate our customers, to deliver a flex load to various grid markets, then get instructions from those markets to tell us when to dispatch that flex and to keep the customer in the picture. We're improving our network slightly to make our charge points a bit more responsive, which is important for some flex markets. Thirdly, partnerships, as Andy and I have already mentioned, are very, very important to us. We can't do any of this alone. We're maximally leveraging EDF as a key partner, both as an energy retailer who's customer facing, but also behind the scenes as an aggregator to help us access different parts of the flex market. We're also working with other parties as necessary to deliver maximum flex to as many customers as possible. And fourthly, in terms of leveraging our brand and lifetime value, we're planning to roll out a loyalty program to reward people for participating in flex. We're also looking to see if we can use the recurring revenue of Flex to help us reduce the hurdle to people becoming a PodPoint customer in the first place. So finally, just to summarize what we've achieved in the last seven months, we signed up grid-side partnerships with four of the six UK distribution system operators, either directly or through an aggregator. We're working closely with EDF on the grid side of things and the retail side of things. And we announced today, as Andy said, a trial with Centrica to deliver Flex to the customers that we have in common with them. And we're now live and flexing with those DSOs. We're also live and flexing in the LCM, the local constraints market. And that's the gap between England and Scotland. There's a lot of wind turbines in Scotland. It's often very windy in Scotland. The wires between Scotland and England aren't strong enough. And so when that wind blows, there's nowhere to put that excess electricity. Wouldn't it be lovely if we could get Scottish people to charge their cars in that case? And that's indeed exactly what we started to do. So you can see on this chart at the bottom, which shows two successive days. And on the second day, we saw Storm Agnes coming. Uh, and so we asked people, you know, we said, it's going to be windy tomorrow. Plug in your cars and fill your boots with local Scottish wind energy. Uh, and 35% uh, participants did. And we shifted 1.6 megawatt hours of energy from one day to another. So that's real flex in action today. So by joining everything up from customer engagement to technology to grid partnerships, we've started earning recurring flex revenue. It's small beginnings, but we've proven the principle. So on the right, next up. We're going to build a coherent Flex offering for all our customers and to make Flex the norm. And I'm particularly interested in new customers where we want them to get used to flexing as just a natural part of owning an EV. We want to open up as many types of Flex markets as we can as quickly as possible. And the one we've got our eye on at the moment is the balancing market where EV charging hasn't been allowed to play uh, until recently. And that's the focus of the Centrica trial that we announced today. 
And once we've got a powerful system that's capable of doing flex at scale, our thoughts naturally turn to what else it could flex. And the obvious candidate, as Ian said, is a home battery. Actually, I was sad, Ian, you, you only talked about double flex there. In the past, you've talked about triple, triple flex with a lovely Dutch accent. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of flex we can do. It's really, really exciting. You know, the great thing about a battery is that it can export as well as import. Uh, and it, of course, it's available 24 hours a day. Whereas, uh, unfortunately, our customers sometimes drive their pesky uh, battery on wheels away from their house. Um, so, as Andy says, today we announced a deal with our partners, uh, um, Goshen and others, um, who are uh, you know, major players in that space. And finally, workplaces. As Andy pointed out, they are in some ways quite similar to domestic because cars dwell there a long time. They sit there for many hours charging, so there's lots of opportunities to flex. But in another way, they're quite different because workplace charging happens during the day and domestic charging happens during at night. So that means by having both in our estate, we can offer flex to the grid at any time of day or night. So that's all from me. Thanks. Now over to our group CFO, David Wolf. Thanks, Paul Graham. At the heart of the transformation is the self-help of cost reduction. We've recognized that over the past couple of years in particular, costs have grown rapidly, and this has been significantly out of line with revenue. We're going to address this with vigor. There are three phases to the work that will be driving overhead reduction, margin improvement, and cash optimization. First, we're going to optimize the shape of the business to reflect the new strategic focus. Then, for the core business, we will drive efficiency, and finally, we will transition out of the residual commitments from the non-core business. This will drive overhead reductions through a combination of reorganization, efficiency improvements and outsourcing, with a total impact of £6 million on a fully annualized basis. In addition, we expect to drive margin improvement through supply consolidation, product cost reduction, and outsourcing with a total impact of around five percentage points by 2025. Cash management has been an area of tight control recently, and this will continue, as growth, as Andy says, will be capital light, as we're increasing our focus on ROI-type metrics like customer lifetime value, and as the emphasis on home will enable further working capital improvements. This transformation plan is the result of a wide and fundamental review of our markets, where we have a right to win and how to deliver strong financial returns. Whilst we're excited and energised about the growth opportunity in the future for PodPoint, we're also absolutely clear-eyed about the challenge and the transformation and the work ahead. So after adjusting course here in 2023, 2024 represents a lot of the hard graft in establishing the foundations for growth as we deliver the core transition and the cost out program. As we refocus on our core, overall growth will not resume until we get towards 2025. This growth combined with a more efficient cost base will take us towards EBITDA break even in 2026. And as the growth initiatives build, we'll become cash generative through 2027 and then start to deliver on the high margin recurring revenue that will drive increasing and recurring value. This plan 
is focused on delivering a growing business that drives positive cash flow and importantly, builds recurring revenue and results in sustained and resilient value. This is a full financial turnaround. By 2027, we will have moved from a business that's declined this year to 63 million, to one that is more than double its current size, with growth rates of around 20% per annum. EBITDA will turn from losses of 16 million through break-even in 2026 into profitability by 2027. From consuming around 27 million pounds of cash in 2023, we will be free cash flow positive from 2027 onwards. And in this transformation, we will be increasing the resilience and the value of the business. The revenue mix will become more diversified with 15% outside the UK, but importantly, recurring revenue will grow to 15% of the mix by 2027. And within that, Gridflex will become a meaningful and growing profit contributor with at least 5 million of profit impact. Whilst this is a significant turnaround, we've plotted a clear and deliverable path to break even by 2026. From where we start in 2023, allowing for cost inflation and some lost margin from non-core segments, the biggest driver of this program is cost reduction and efficiency improvements. On the right-hand side of the chart, you will see that we've allowed for a significant increase in the investment in brand, marketing and sales to drive the growth. So this is a plan grounded in proper resourcing. The majority of the growth in this time window will come from our core UK market as a better proposition and better execution take effect. But we will also see the moderate but growing impact of profit contribution from Gridflex and from international into 2026. So with the largest components of this plan close to home, it gives us confidence that our path to break even and beyond has some strong levers. We have sufficient funding in place to deliver this plan. We start 2024 with around 47 million cash in the bank, and we believe that that will be enough to reach positive cash flow generation in 2027 and beyond. Within the plan, we've allowed for the fact that 2024 is going to require significant cash use in operating losses, that we will have only delivered a partial year of cost savings in that period, and that there are around £5 million of costs of change. And that obviously we also need to uh, make sure that we have continuing speed of product development for 2024. In 2025, cash consumption will drop considerably as we see a full year of cost savings kick in and as growth resumes. But in addition, we're very pleased to announce that we've agreed a 30 million pound credit facility with EDF, and that will give us further flexibility should we need it. So with the strong support of our major shareholder behind us, we can execute this transformation with full confidence. This is clearly a multi-year transformation, but we are setting ourselves some operational targets for 2024 as milestones along the way. As markers and foundations of future growth in core markets, we will release the Arch5 product, we will launch in two European territories, and we will see our UK home business 
return to growth on a full year basis. In flex and recurring revenue, we will break into further segments of the energy and flex market, and the revenue will grow tenfold to uh, being at least in six figures. And in the cost out program, we'll complete the reorganization, establish run rate annualized savings of at least six million, and embed that ROI discipline across the business. So even if the full financial headlines for 2024 will set no records on growth, profit or cash, it will be laying the foundations for growth to follow. Looking at guidance then, for full year 2023, we see a little upside to the guidance we gave at the half year, and within that a marked improvement of the second half of trading compared to the first half. Revenue expectations move up from 60 million to around 63 million, which means that the first half revenue decline of 26% year on year has shifted to growth of 10% up year on year in the second half. EBITDA is a little improved at a loss of 16 million rather than 17 million, showing that a first half reported loss of 9.6 million has reduced by 30% in the second half. And cash too is coming out better at 47 million on a year end closing basis, meaning that cash outflow in the second half is lower by 3 million or 20% over half one. For 2024, as I've mentioned before, we're expecting a year of core transition rather than growth. Revenue is expected to be around 60 million, reflecting a combination of some reduction from the move back to core segments, balanced with some growth in the remaining core business. EBITDA will improve to around 14 million loss, with only a part year of cost savings impacting and the effect of the revenue decline in those orderly exits. And cash closing on around 15 million will reflect the impact of the cost of change, the operating losses and the development costs in preparation for growth. And that cash figure is on the basis of leaving the new EDF facility completely undrawn. Looking beyond 2024, we're excited and energized about this plan because we can see a future that is both ambitious and achievable. And we want to build a business that is growing, profitable and of enduring value. By 2030, this means a business with a million customers in a profitable network, at least four times bigger than it is today. A business delivering EBITDA margins in the region of 15% or more, and that is cumulatively cash flow positive across the period and a business that is resilient, comprising 25% of high margin recurring revenue. And with that, I'll hand you back to Andy. We promised shareholders that we would provide a clear set of financial targets and operational KPIs to allow you to track our progress. And we believe this set of targets does exactly that. So, as we draw towards the end of the formal presentation, let me reiterate a few key messages. We have permission to be a winner in this existing and growing market. The energy transition market is big today and will become huge. We have revenues today from Flex and the new contracts that we've announced. Our strategy is to build around our core strengths 
And we have a transformation program to ensure that we deliver on our plan with self-help, cost out, and low risk international growth. Over time, we will have a significant amount of high margin recurring revenues and energy flex revenues. And we have a clear path to profitability and sustainable positive cash flow. Perhaps more importantly, we now very, very clearly have the sufficient funds to deliver on this promise. Our vision to deliver 1 million customers in a profitable network will see our customer lifetime value flywheel accelerate as we deliver on the powering up strategy and take advantage of EDF as our largest shareholder. This is an ambitious strategy. It's a coherent and logical strategy, and it's the right strategy for success. We will deliver on it. Thank you. So that concludes the formal presentation. We've covered a lot of ground, and hopefully you can see a huge amount of work has gone into what we've been presenting today. We'll now take questions, and we'll start uh, in the room. Hi, Ken Rump from uh, AIB Goodbody. Uh, firstly, congratulations on putting together such a comprehensive plan in, in a relatively short period of time. Um, I'll, I'll stick to three questions for the moment. Um, one is a topic that didn't get mentioned. Could you give us an update on search for a CEO and you, Andy, your kind of commitment and availability to continue to lead the business in the meantime? Um, secondly, again, a kind of external point. Um, there is a chart in there, I think, of some estimates about sort of the charger market. But what are you assuming for the EV market in the in the UK, and, and particularly as it changes, and we maybe move to a more mass market EV from the kind of premium cars that it is at the minute? How does that, do you think, change home charging? Um, and then perhaps one for uh, for David um, or whoever. Um, just to understand on what basis is the six million, does it include the cost that you no longer require for exited businesses? Um, you know, does it allow for, you know, honestly, if you could, if everything else stayed stationary while your sales went to 240 million, that'd be remarkable. So, so there is kind of growth and inflation. So just try and understand what do we deduct the six million from, if you like. Thanks very much. Thank you. Um, CEO search. I'm going to turn to Gareth in a moment, if I may. Gareth is obviously the chairman and, and leads the, uh, the, the search with Corn Ferry. Just to be clear, I'm here as long as I need to be here. And when we do put a new CEO in place, I'll return to the board and help that CEO from the position of a non-executive. So I'm, I'm here for the duration of this plan, just to be clear, although I may not be the CEO uh, in charge. Uh, right the way through. I would also state that this plan is not Andy's plan. It's absolutely not Andy's plan. It's a plan that has been uh, um, socialized with the board, brought into with the board. But I think more importantly, I use an expression of being on and off the bus. These guys here uh, have all voted to be on the bus. And, and I think you've seen, you know, particularly with a profile, uh, uh, 
Pilgrim, our young and, and the other people, we've got a, an, a, an admirable bunch of people to deliver the strategy, all of which have bought into the powering up strategy. So it's not my strategy, it's the team strategy, both exec and non-exec. Uh, Gareth, could I pass over to you in terms of how we're going on the CEO search? Yeah, we uh, hired Corn Ferry after a short beauty parade. Um, and uh, we actually got a, a great deal of interest uh, in the in the position of uh, C CEO. Obviously, Andy uh, stepped in uh, and uh, you know has committed himself very much to to seeing things through. But we're quite well on in the process now. Uh, I would anticipate certainly before Christmas we will have finished all of the. Uh, interviewing uh, processes and all that be rendered down. I would anticipate uh, an announcement uh, relatively early uh, in the new year. The great unknown is, uh, will there be a notice period required from, uh, uh, you know, an, an incumbent that they have to, um, you know, honour with their... Uh, with, with their own company, if it's a, a, you know an external hire, so I think that's the the uncertain bit. But I think in terms of announcing to the market um, a, a name, uh, I, I think we'll be probably early in the new year. Thanks, Gareth. The EV market in the UK. Um, I'll switch from my personal brand to my Podpoint brand here because I think you'll all know of my my uh, disdain for the move of the 2030 date. Um, part of that disdain, though, is because it doesn't really affect anything. The 2030 date is when, when basically there was a move from the consumer's ability to buy um, an internal combustion car to buying a hybrid or battery electric. And it's moved, as you know, to 2035. So what you've done essentially is take away that, that hybrid phase of five years. What hasn't changed, though, is the lesser known requirement on the vehicle manufacturer. During 2024, 22% of the fleet has to be, or 22% of Ford or Nissan sales, has to be EV. That's a step up from where we are today. And by 2030, that's 80%. So to some extent, whether the consumer likes it or not, we're going to be pushed towards EV adoption, irrespective of the 2030, 2035 announcement. Now, the question, the big question, I think, is to where do those sales go? The good news for us as an as a, as a EV, EV charge manufacturer is they move to EV. The question for the industry, I suppose, is do they move to a European-based car manufacturer or do they move to a Chinese-based car manufacturer? Uh, and that, that really goes along the lines of, you know, you have early adopters. They're the guys that are buying them today. I guess you have a bunch of people that will hold out as long as they can and keep their internal combustion engine. But the vast majority of customers are, look, are seeking value. They're seeking lower-cost EVs. And lower-cost EVs can only really come with a smaller battery. And a smaller battery, or the ability to move to a smaller battery, very much relies on a prolific charging network. So again, very, very good for us because you need to have more chargers. And you've already seen that 60% of the chargers are home chargers. 
So uh, very much I, I see the, the, the pressure on the OEMs forcing a move to faster adoption of EVs and therefore faster adoption of, of uh, chargers. In terms of our modeling, we've been relatively cautious in terms of that TIV growth. Uh, we've worked extensively with our friends from Bain in trying to understand the consensus of that growth and obviously the, those people that as you go to certain segments, mostly urban segments, of course not everybody has the ability for off-road charging or rather home charging. That's why you know, we feel the strategic need to be in, in workplace charging because those people that don't have driveways will often end up charging at, at work. And, and so that, that, to some extent, dictates our strategy. Now, when you look at international markets, much the same, at least European markets, much the same dynamic exists, except there's a certain latency. If you look to somewhere like Spain, they're actually quite a long way behind. And so we're getting into that market relatively early. In France, of course, everybody knows EDF. So being able to leverage EDF is really important. And I suppose the only European market that is actually ahead of the UK right now in terms of proliferation of charges is, is uh, places like Sweden, um, where we had a footprint in the past, um, but it's, that's a much more mature level. Sorry, Norway and, uh, Norway and Sweden uh, is, a, is a much more, um, uh, there's less opportunity there. So we're very much looking at those easier markets, particularly, I guess, France and Spain as the key ones. David, can I pass to you for the, the basis of the six million? So six million, where is it coming from and what's the, the right shape of that uh, over time? Uh, the six million is coming from a combination of two things. One is reshaping the cost structure to match the core segments uh, and to recognize the orderly exit out of some segments. And then within what remains uh, to effectively become more efficient and drive efficiency within those uh, remaining functions. So it's a combination of both. The right way to think about the shape of it is that whilst we're you know, kicking off uh, that exercise now, we will see a part year effect uh, during 2024. Revenue, as I've said, will be flat in 2024. So the cost base will go down by 2025 by that full six million. And from that point, we would expect to be back into the growth. Uh, we've talked about an average long-run growth of around 20%. So overheads across the period will be growing, but, but at a level below that 20% as we leverage operating efficiencies. Good afternoon. Uh, Joe Brent from Librem. I've got three questions as well. Maybe if I could just do them uh, one at a time. Um, the first one is on the disposals. Just give us some indication of what that looks like. Because I imagine you're losing some cost. Maybe you'll get some money in places. Just give us an indication of, of what, that, what that does to numbers. Uh, we're not talking about asset disposals uh, or, or selling off bits of the business. What we're talking about is effectively two, two phases. Firstly, we're not going to be competing for new business. Uh, so whether it's fleet depot, multi-tenancy dwellings, or residential and the uh, sorry, the public uh, public network, we are not competing for new business. But secondly, we are honouring our commitments to customers in each of those segments and will continue to service 
those bits of the business, whether it's uh, partnerships with uh, Tesco <laughs> or Lidl or, or, or other parties. So we will continue to support those networks in, in their useful life, and we will manage an orderly transition uh, through, through that period. Any, any potential disposals are not, uh, do not form part of this plan. Um, when you talk about plant lifetime value, you give an indication of what that means per annum for Flex. Um, have you given any thought to how long a customer lasts for? Because that's clearly an important driver of the lifetime value. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we also where it kicks in. We think that um, particularly the flex opportunity <coughs> certainly kicks in when you've got something in the order of two hundred and fifty thousand plugs. It starts to become very relevant. So we're the first charger network that reaches that milestone. But in terms of the, how it how it affects ongoing, maybe Pilgrim, you'd like to copy uh, com uh, comment. Yeah, I don't know if we actually have any stats on the longevity of, of uh, customers using EV charge points. I mean, I would expect that once the products reach their end of life, they'll buy, buy another product. I mean, our assumption is that, uh, you know, it's an ongoing relationship for the duration. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if that really answers your question, but we don't, we don't really think there's a finite time. It's a service proposition, so it goes on forever. Thank you. Then finally, on the, on the numbers, if I understood it correctly, in 24, the revenues would be pretty similar to 23 broadly, and the EBITDA loss is you know, a million better. Slightly surprised that's not better given the cost savings you're making and also the fact you're exiting some of the lower margin areas and focusing presumably on the higher margin. Yes, the, um, the impact in 2024 is a combination of um, the fact that we will not be delivering uh, the full impact of cost savings we clearly have some reduced revenue uh, and some obligations to continue to serve uh, the non-core segments. Um, and you know, w w within that, there are going to be some uh, costs of transition. So 2024, we think, will give modest improvements in EBITDA, but it's in 2025 when we start to see a material improvement in cash outflow and a material step towards that break-even in 2026. We're not approaching this naively. We're making sure that we, we have realistic <laughs> modelling uh, and, and a model that we can absolutely achieve. Hi, it's Martin Young from Investec. Um, I'm going to go for three questions as well, if I can, please. Um, the first of those, in the conversation you touched upon improving the installer, experience. Maybe you could expand a little bit on what are some of the difficulties currently with the, the installation experience that your installers are, are finding. The second question on the competitive landscape chart that you put up, uh, I noticed one of the uh, the principal players there was, was My Energy. My Energy has a, a, a suite of products that includes a charger. Uh, and a battery amongst others. You are intending on bringing a battery forward. Uh, you've got 2026 as your date for that. Is there any way that you think you could accelerate the deployment of, of the battery to be, I, I guess, a more meaningful competitor in, in, in that uh, part of the market to, to my energy? And then the final one is around you know, Flex and that relationship that uh, you've announced with Centrica today to play in the BM. Uh, is that you basically having a deal with uh, Centrica's energy trading you know, business where you, you in essence, uh, in, promise to, to give them you know, certain 
demand that they can they can play with and, and you get a fee for that so anything you can say on that would be extremely helpful please thank you very good um the installation experience is obviously a key part of our service it's also a key cost of our service and um I speak on behalf of Graham uh, here, who, who leads that part of the business. The first part is obviously we have a combination of both in-house and external contracts of installation. We have a very str strict um, quality standard that has to be adhered to. Um, and with volatility of late, particularly with the cancellation of the uh, the grant and then suddenly the, re the reshaping of that installation curve, it's been quite volatile. Um, also, one of the areas, you know, we're obviously dealing with third parties, the instruction how, how to efficiently fit a unit is also important. So if, if, if in simplistic terms, one has to reach more installations per day. And that means that one needs to be much more efficient in the way that you share the workload between your in-house guys and your external guys. And so we've been working up with some, some, some software uh, that helps with scheduling to make sure that we, we move towards three installations per day per person. And that for those that are done by third parties, that basically we've, um, uh, with IOM, developed an, an, an app for the application of, of the charges. So th those are two key areas. But basically, uh, if, if I look at it from in my history of Japanese car manufacturing, it's really about lean management. It's about lean operations. So how you can efficiently utilize your resources in Milton Keynes to fit units in Milton Keynes and not have to bring them in from Bedfordshire. That, 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 that if you want, is a, a simplistic use of how do you get to three installations a day. The installation is a significant part of the, the, the cost and therefore the profitability of the units. Remember, we sell these things for about a thousand pounds, including both installation and all of the overheads associated with it. And obviously, the more that you can fit per day, the cost per unit comes down. So that's what we're driving for. It's really about lean and efficient management led by Graham and his team. In terms of, yes, my energy um, is, is, is an important element. Um, um, in terms of their transition to home batteries, you could equally say Tesla, I suppose. Um, the, the key to making BESS work, so battery energy storage, is the cost of the battery and its integration with the controller. That means that you, or with, with, the, with the plug basically, the clamp on the plug. Um, I think you know my background, you know. I, I've worked a long time in the battery industry. I chair a number of companies in that space. And access to the right chemistry, to the right cooling and the right control is really, really key. Now, in the case of a, a wall battery, you don't need to worry too much about cooling, but you absolutely need to get the chemistry right. And so availability of LFP and maybe eventually sodium ion batteries is absolutely key. And we get that through the relationship between uh, um, uh, Gaussian and Inabat. So basically, you get both Chinese technology, but you also get uh, made, in, made in Europe. And then the control side of that, which is working with Brill, 
Real Power, which is a spin-out out of uh, Oxford University, allows you to optimize control. So we're not racing to market and just delivering it for the sake of delivering it, because I think the key is the investable cost at the beginning. If you come along and say this whole thing's going to cost £15,000, then it's, it's, it's difficult to see why you'd get a high penetration of, of, of that system. But if you can come in with, with uh, a much more interesting price and you get that thanks to LFP availability through the Chinese manufacturer, um, then I think we can offer something that's interesting. Speed to market look is, is very dependent upon how much reconfiguration that we need to do from the Chinese unit to the European unit. If it's not much, we can go faster. If, if we have to, we've taken worst case, and that's why we have it out in 2026. Um, on the flex, Pilgrim. Yeah, so the, the Centrica BG relationship. Um, so I think the place, the starting point on that is, is to start with the customer. So we, we want to offer flex to all our customers in, in whatever way we can. Um, and that, of course, includes the 80% or more of our customers who don't have EDF as a supplier. There are two ways to deliver flex. One we call over-the-top flex. So in that case, we can pause their charging sometimes, give them some money back, totally independent of who their supplier is. So the nice thing about that is that we can offer it to all our customers regardless of their supplier. But we can't necessarily access quite as much flex value. So the other way to offer it is what we call tariff integrated, where we work with the retailer, in that case, have to have a close relationship. We can get involved in more types of flex, including, of course, the wholesale trading side, which they're involved in all the time. Um, and in principle, we'd like to do that with all retailers to access as much of the market as possible. Just to clarify, the announcement that we've made is a trial. It's a six-month trial. It's on customers that we have in common between British Gas and uh, Podpoint. And the purpose of it really is to explore the value to all parties in delivering that flex. And then we'll see where we go from there. Hi, it's uh, Carl Smith from Zeus. Um, also, three questions, please. Um, the first one. <laughs> the first one is: How can we sure that the the sort of battery proposition is going to meet your return on investment hurdles? I mean, sort of, it's a multi-year project, and you obviously have to spend a bit up front before you start getting the return. So, what I guess what work have you done behind the scenes to sort of say that that's a uh, a goer? Um, Second question is on the sales into into Europe. Um, how should we think about the sort of revenue and margin per unit? Is it sort of similar to your wholesale distributor um, sales that go into the commercial segment at the moment, or is it going to be lower revenue but higher margin because it's uh, capital light, like you say? Um, and just a quick follow-on from that one: Are those customers included in your one million um, target, one million customer target? And then just finally, um, on, on the cash, this one's for David, uh, for FY24, so I've got cash moving from 47 million to around 15 uh, with EBITDA losses of 14 million. So what makes up the, the remaining sort of 18 million of that, of that cash burn? Is it CapEx or what, what is it? I reckon that was a sneaky four questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first of all, uh, battery business is not not basically included within the model. Okay, that's why we pushed it out to 2026. We've assumed we, we've not taken an assumption there because it's nascent. Um, in, in terms of um, its its ROI, 
I'm not able to give you a very strong indication of the R&D at the moment. There are two ways that one can look at this. You can either build it yourself um, or you can take a, a, a white labeling of much of the system. Our intention is that it's more of the latter than the former. So the reason that we picked Gaussian in particular is that they have units in China and the United States and we'd like to use as much of that as we can. Um, so keeping it capital light. Um, but, but obviously we now have what we would call an investment committee. Uh, it has very strong rules in terms of hurdle rates. And obviously we would only go forward with that project if it met the hurdle rates, sim simply said. Um, on EU margins, David, sure. and the sneaky one million question that was added in. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the business model for Europe, as we've said, is capital light and operational light. So that means using uh, <coughs> local partners for outsourced installation, outsourced customer service. But we are still driving volumes through wholesale. So we're doing the supply-only market through wholesale relationships. And you talked about a handful of people developing an EU, pan-EU wholesale team. Uh, but it also involves direct-to-consumer. You know, we have a big commerce front-end that is easily adaptable to acquire customers in multiple territories. You know, online consumer marketing is easy to manage from the UK, so we have a combination of routes to market. Uh, in addition, we'll be seeking to leverage our relationships with European OEMs, uh, which are very strong in the UK and are a natural, natural conversation to have in Europe. So multiple channels to market, therefore revenues are a combination of the £800 odd that we'd get in the UK and their European equivalents, and, and similarly a lower lower but higher margin on, on supply only. So that's the, the, the revenue model for Europe. On the cash and CapEx question, uh, so beyond the EBITDA losses, uh, you know, I, I said that um, 2024 is gonna be a year of particularly heavy cash consumption down to around 15 million. We firstly have continuing speed in executing product development. So CapEx, which in 2023 will, you know, will be the order of 14 million, will be going down a bit, but not, uh, uh, not massively. So that is still a material cost. We have a 5 million cost of change, cash, cash cost of change to execute the transformation uh, and to, to make sure that uh, any of the uh, costs of uh, the orderly exit are properly covered. We also have a, a bit of working capital unwind as we come out of some of those uh, non-core segments, which, which takes a little bit out. And adding those numbers together, I think you'll fairly easily get to most of that uh, 15 million cash balance. So just the, the 5 million is uh, exceptional from EBITDA, the switch EBITDA. Yes. Andrew Nussi from Peel Hunt. Um, if I could just follow up a couple of points on Flex, please. Um, if I'm a customer, I've got a PodPoint uh, device. Do I have to sign up to the Flex model? And if I do, how much does it cost me? And of the 10,000 that's been uh, earned in the sort of second half, what are the components of that? Is it the sign-up fees or monies that you have been able to make from various grids? Uh, related uh, arrangements? So our model is we absolutely do sign people up in that we, we opt them in very explicitly. That's an important part of the trust relationship. So we explain the benefits to them and ask them if they'd like to opt in and, and then they do. There's no, no fee for opting in. 
Um, we're all working in this together to create value for all of us, which we then share. You know, that's the, that's the model. The 10K to date has, has, is a result of these two programs that we've been operating in. The, um, it's actually, well, it's 10, 10K to the end of this year is our, it, um, is our prediction. And it's um, uh, some from the LCM, which we started doing in September with these Scottish customers, and some from the, um, the DSO markets, which are going live now. They just started going live. So I guess the question of the 10K, how much is then shared with customers who have signed up to, for example, that Scottish load sharing? Yes, so we're, we're still learning about how all the numbers shake out. Um, so what we've done for these trials is we, is we basically said to people, um, sign up, and as long as you participate for the duration of the trial, which is until uh, March next year, we'll pay you £25 in Amazon vouchers, which is a, an estimate of, of the, the right amount of value to hand back to them. Um, in the future, we'll probably have a model which is slightly more variable and incentivizes behavior change and so on. Hello, George Carmichael from Singer Capital Markets here. So just still on the subject of flex, there was, you said you had 35% participation. Was there sort of one main sticking point as to why the 65% didn't want to partake? And how easy like, do you see it being able to overcome that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there are several different dimensions that all multiply together to deliver flex value. Um, and just to be clear on terminology, I suppose we, we distinguish enrollment from participation. So enrollment's actually getting them to opt in. And then participation is how they you know, behave when the program happens. Do they do what we ask them to do? Do they stay opted in? Um, we've still got an awful lot to learn to maximize those. It's a marketing challenge. Um, and so we're actually really quite, um, you know, really quite excited by the opt-in rates we're getting. Um, from a standing start, we get an opt-in rate for very simple sign-up programs where it's very light touch. We pause your charging occasionally, you know, so there's no real downside from your point of view, uh, and the sign-up process is very light. We're seeing a sign-up process in ex or a sign-up rate in excess of 30%, which from a standing start, with us coming to them with this proposition for the first time ever, seems like a very good adoption rate. Um, and then in terms of participation, we're just learning, we're learning how to do that with our customers. We don't want to fatigue them with too much messaging to prod behavioral change. We want this to become just a natural part of their lives. Uh, so, you know, we're learning, we're learning. For example, one of the learnings recently is, you know, if you have events back to back, then people often won't participate in the second one, maybe because their car's already full. Uh, so, you know, we're just picking up a lot of learnings by that, like that, and it'll, it'll just be a learning process as we go on. I think just, just to supplement that point, Going forwards, the business model for you know, the vast majority of this one million network, so many new customers, is that when you start, you're automatically opted in and they've got to actively opt out. So we're driving at a business model where you're part of the Podpoint Club. Obviously, you can choose to leave it, but we start from 100% perspective rather than trying to build up from zero. Yeah, hi, it's uh, Alex Brooks, Canical. I'll break tradition and only have two questions. Um, Within within this model, you've got you've got roughly thirty percent of your revenue in twenty twenty seven coming from two new areas, flex and international. Am I to understand that the balance of the business will be free cash flow positive as well, or or is the free cash flow generation dependent on those the, those, those two new areas? Um, and and the second question is kind of linked to that, which is obviously you're not the only player in this market. Um, there are a number who are known to be in greater or lesser degrees of distress. Uh, failure of these units is probably not acceptable for the industry broadly. 
what happens? And do you have a role in it? David, I think you start the, the question of the, the 70%, does it reach free cash flow positive? Well, if we're looking at 2027, um, you know, we are seeing a material contribution from Gridflex and International at that stage. Um, and broadly speaking, if you were to rule out uh, any contribution from those areas of the business, instead of being you know, properly cash flow positive, we'd probably be around break cash flow break even. It's that, that order of magnitude of effect. I think it's important to highlight that the operating results in a given period in this business model are not indicators of value. Because in a, in a world where we're competing for customer lifetime value, when you bring a customer on with this continuing pattern of behavior, you're actually locked in value for, for, for the future. So you know, results around 26 and 27 are clearly not gonna be showing in that period the bottom line and the cash impact that is truly being built from a value perspective. So I think it's important to bear that in mind. The difficult question. Um, there are distressed assets very, very, very clearly, and there's a lot of CPOs. One of our, I think, our almost unique attributes is that we have EDF. So we have in the club, if you will, um, an energy provider and a, and, a, and a CPO. I think that's one of the reasons that we have reasons to believe that we can win. Um, there, there will be clearly, as you go through the startup phases, there will be failing uh, competitors. And it is important that somehow that you pick up the slack from, from that. As you saw, we have enough cash without any more cash to see this transformation through, but we still wanted that line of credit, that 30 million from EDF as headroom. And so that headroom allows us to react to any opportunities that come along. Clearly there are conversations uh, going on, quite surprisingly, a number of conversations around what might be opportunities, what might not be opportunities. I think the beauty of, of having come to the conclusion that we're in home and work is that we don't participate in conversations around different things. It's wonderfully liberating. Um, uh, but but where, where you talk about home and work, then obviously we, we, we would engage in conversations if they, were, if they became something that looked viable. Perhaps a slightly wider question. It was regarding the areas you've chosen not to participate in. Um, one question is, for instance, if you're dealing with a house builder, does not doing multi-tenant interfere with your ability? And I noticed, I think, that you, the Barrett deal with, was with certain of their subsidiaries, not, I think, retirement homes or whatever. So obviously house builders kind of set themselves up in a way that maybe allows you to address single family, but not anyway, basically does not doing some things interfere with your ability to do the stuff that you want to do. That people say, well, if you aren't doing motorway service stations, we're not going to do workplace or whatever. Um, and then it was specifically why Fleet Depot is unattractive. And what, when does, when does a, a depot become a workplace kind of thing? It seems like a, there's a sort of gray area. Most, most van fleets don't park at a depot. They park at home. Thanks. There are adjacencies. So one of the, the major adjacency was between home and workplace. And so, you know, obviously we looked at what happens if you only look at home. And, and through that, we saw the, the importance of dealing with house builders and, and dealing with the adjacencies of workplace. So particularly B2B2C 
falls into the scope of what we would call core. Um, there will be some grey areas, and I think the, uh, the point of whether or not a home builder is also a multi-tenancy building, I think very much depends on the complexity. We talked about you know, multi-tenancy is probably the lowest in terms of, of profitability. Um, and I think it's there because of the complexity of the install. And so I think you have to look at that on a, on a, on a, on a project by project basis. How close is it to a, to a, a normal home build? Um, but if it's complex and it doesn't reach our new founded hurdle rates, then we, we would prefer not to do it. On fleet, let me be clear, I suppose, fleet is an attractive segment. Um, it's a, it's, you saw it in that sort of um, top left as opposed to top right. So it is, it is something that, that, that is attractive in the longer term perhaps, but there are people that do it better today um, and we, we wouldn't pull our weight there, so we've chosen not to participate. Now, we do participate in, in fleets where the charging is, that is done at home, very, very much so. So there is an adjacency, and that adjacency is obviously home charging and workplace charging. And for many of those van drivers that do, or taxi drivers, they work out of home and they would be part of our, what we would consider our target audience. I am going to move to online, if that's, if that's okay, Phil. The first question is around the EDF credit facility. Are you able to provide any details of the terms of the facility? Yeah, the, uh, the EDF facility is, is good, but it has no unusual features. Um, it's unsecured. It's basically on normal commercial terms. It's available to 2028. Um, and therefore gives us long enough runway should we ever need to draw on it. The next question is around performance culture. I think Podpoint historically been seen as quite laid back, um, startup type of environment. What, if anything, have you done, Andy, around culture, culture of performance? Um, culture and, and, and the new performance culture is, is probably the most difficult part of the transformation in reality. For example, we've been a, a remote-first organization, probably remote only. Um, we're moving to new offices uh, in December because we want to attract, I would call it, hybrid working. That doesn't require everybody to come in every day, uh, but it does require people to work in teams when they're required. And so that's a big shift. The, the, the other big shift is, is moving from a collective commitment, we will get paid based upon X, Y, Z, to a certain proportion of the performance being personal related. So driving through what I would call a commitment and target culture. So you commit at the level of your budget, but everybody is expected to, to stretch towards a, a better performance. And that forms part of your, ultimately, of your bonus. So. Um, it's been uh, an interesting shift. Not everybody likes it. Not everybody wants to stay on the bus as a result. But that's okay, because the, the people that want to stay on the bus are sitting over here uh, and, and get what we're trying to do. But very clearly, we're in a very competitive world. And in that very competitive world, you have to fight. And you have to fight individually, and you have to fight as a team. 
the, the point is that we pull that together. I, I didn't go to the complexities of it, but the, the mechanism that we're using is something called a Hoshin cannery, which is a um, strategy or policy deployment of Japanese lean methodology that basically means that everybody's individual performance builds to a collective performance and every individual is rewarded and every collective is, in, is, is awarded for their performance, not just for turning up. And that, I would say, is, is probably the key, the key rebuild. Uh, and obviously, it's, uh, it energizes the majority that from our internal surveys um, recognize that this is a weakness, has historically been a weakness of PodPoint and it doesn't suit everybody and, and that's okay. Okay, thank you. Uh, the next question is around product. And could you just talk about the upgradability of the technology, the hardware, the, the charge points, um, whether they can be upgraded for OCPP compliance or not? Uh, and then how much of the existing network uh, is, has the potential to be flexed versus relying on Arch5 to unlock Flex? Come to Arion in a moment. Uh, everything from Arch2 onwards is capable of being flexed in some way. So the vast majority of our network of plugs is capable of, of being flexed. Obviously, as you move up to uh, Arch5, it's more sophisticated. It can respond much more quickly. Um, Arch5 is OCPP compliant. So it's capable of being publicly networked. Um, and as we move forward, we, t we start to take greater leadership in that. But I am going to some more detail about OCPP and OCPI, if you like. Certainly. Um, so yes, indeed, the, the architectures that we've built throughout the, the last 15 years have different levels of capabilities. And therefore, uh, we actually all these devices have the ability to do over-the-air updates. And so we have been actually adding capabilities to these devices at, to the extent that they're capable of doing that to communicate, first of all, bidirectionally, which means in the past we had to wait five minutes before the station reached out to us. Um, and so we have actually have a development project to make sure that we can reach these stations interactively and we can reach out to these stations every second that we want to. Um, and so that's an important step to, to enable Flex for the current uh, customer base and actually uh, respective of the Flex 2 and Flex uh, Arts 2 and Arts 3, we have different capabilities in how frequent we can talk to these stations and, and get more leverage from Flex. Uh, we're also looking to create upgrade kits so that we can actually provide OCPP compatibility for these stations going forward. However, that will require uh, yeah, to come in and actually replace the technology uh, to be able to provide uh, OSPP compatibility for these, uh, these stations. Uh, so this is an important step that we will, uh, we will provide. Uh, and it's, it's important to our customers um, and certainly in commercial environments that we provide this facility to, to upgrade these stations to become OSPP compliant. Okay, thank you. Uh, the next question uh, is a follow-on from an earlier question about 2024 cash flow components. So one, probably one for you, David. Uh, what are the implications of the new operating model on working capital? And then what is the uh, expected level of CapEx post-2024? So in focusing on 
home and workplace, and obviously within that home is going to be a bigger part of the business, and moving away from some of the B2B segments, there is a cash flow working capital improvement. Because typically with a, a home customer, we get paid in advance, um, and then we perform the work uh, sometime later. So moving the revenue mix towards home is going to provide a little bit of working capital capital inflow uh, as we grow the business, which is a, a positive. Um, <clears throat> uh, what what that implies for 2024 is that we un, as that we unwind some of that uh, B two B business. Um, we are going to see some working capital outflow uh, and that has an impact and is a contributor to the cash use in 2024. In terms of the um, ability to differentiate in hardware, could, could you maybe touch on what, what areas do you think you have the ability to differentiate and to compete against the uh, others in the market? Yeah, let's talk about, um, let's talk about Arch 5. Um, Let's also talk about the move to commonality between workplace and home, and maybe without giving away too many trade secrets about Arch 6. Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, there's a lot of commonality between home and, and workplace uh, in, in terms of architecture and extensibility. And so effectively, we will develop one charger architecture that allows us to have those extensions and and therefore uh, differentiate being able to address those two segments at the same time, uh, leveraging the same type of investments and, and uh, technology behind it, uh, both in the embedded side as well as in the hardware and, and cloud side. Uh, and, and obviously we can leverage flex against uh, that entire base. Um, we are at the forefront of adopting also more advanced charging scenarios, such as uh, ISO 15118, which is the the new communication protocol between the car and the charger. Um, and that will allow, also allow us to do much more advanced control, including more advanced flex opportunities, because we can more granularly control the car's ability to, to charge on the different phases and frequencies and uh, have that alignment. The fact that we have made this tremendous step upwards with ART5 also allows us to get a lot more data and processing power uh, to be able to interact on the, the house uh, energy management environment and uh, control uh, the, the, the charging behavior and the flex events much more granularly. I think that's a, that's a big, big step upwards compared to uh, previous generations uh, charging uh, infrastructure. Um, being Having that facility to, to do that calculation in the device, collecting the right type of data uh, and controlling that also uh, from the cloud perspective is, is really a big benefit. Uh, Flex, for example, uh, uh, requires us to calculate this amongst all of our customers in a, in a sub-second uh, interval and create aggregated values uh, of all these devices at the same time and share that with our partners. Uh, that type of technology really requires a very optimized hardware infrastructure. And, and with Arch5, we're making that step to, yeah, to enable these type of advanced capabilities. Um, and so, uh, of course, we can leverage it already with uh, R3 and, 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 uh, and, and 2. Um, but going forward, we can do a lot more in combination with the ISO 1518, advanced communication to the car, in combination with the extra CPU power and the flex aggregated uh, cloud features that we are bundling together. 
Of course, solar is an, an important local element. It's the first step into uh, energy management. Uh, we can solve this natively. That doesn't mean you need extra components or hardware, extra devices in the house to be able to support that. Um, we solve this natively, which is a very cost-effective approach. You've seen other hardware vendors actually use third-party hardware components that is just a very additional cost to, uh, to our customers. And we solve this very natively uh, with the product is itself. It's a very cost-effective way to, uh, yeah, to add that energy management. And of course, with the steps into battery, and we will further extend these capabilities and, and actually have those integrations with Arch5 in combination with uh, communication to the battery. One of the great strengths I've found over the last three or four months of, of PodPoint is the sophistication of its software engineering capability. We're not, it's not a small team, uh, it's, a very, it's a very competent team. And as I said, maybe we, we rested on our laurels a little bit in the past, but the the ability of being able to mobilize an in-house team and delivering Arch 5 very quickly has been re quite remarkable. Probably one for you, David. Just could you clarify um, with Flash's guidance on revenue for 2024 compared to the current year, uh, with an uptick with some European revenues coming in, does this imply that the UK business is going down? Yeah, if I give a bit of color then in the guidance for 2024 and why we see that number being perhaps slightly down uh, on, on 2023. There are three, three things going on. You know, firstly, in managing an orderly exit from primarily B2B markets, we're going to see you know, a high single digit sort of revenue decline. Um, that means to balance that, we are expecting to see the growth rates uh, continue from H2 in the home and the direct-to-consumer business. So that segment of the, of the business will be in growth in 2024, but it won't be balancing out the full impact of the, of the decline from the, from the non-core segments. Although we'll be launching uh, in European markets in 2024, it's not a material revenue impact. That only really kicks in in 2025. I think it's about an operational launch in, in, uh, in Europe in 2024 rather than you know, uh, a, a scale, scale impact. And that, that together gives that, you know, what we appreciate is a, a more challenging year, but nevertheless, it's a realistic expectation of what 2024 means. Okay, uh, final, final one. This is one certainly for you, Andy. Is there any possibility of you becoming permanent CEO? Um, one of the things I really in, enjoy uh, is since over 15 years is working on, on EVs um, and, and the implications and looking at the move from zero emission to net zero carbon from different lenses. Um, and that's the reason that I joined the, the board of PodPoint, but it also allows me to look at other businesses. I enjoy that, that if you want a plural capability, uh, but I was also delighted to be able to, to help the, the team and be able to step in quickly uh, to, to help out with, with this. Uh, ultimately, everybody, every chief executive, has to think about their succession planning, whether you're whether you're interim or whether you're permanent. And you know, I'm 60 years old, uh, and uh, I enjoy the, the plurality of my, my my role. I've put it on hold for a year, and 
you know, I really enjoy what I'm doing at Podpoint at, at the moment, but I also think it's my obligation and Gareth's obligation to find the successor, maybe a younger man or woman that will pick up the, uh, pick up the, uh, the baton. But very clearly, my commitment is to stay with the business, either through the role of the CEO or through the role of the non-exec. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a here, I'm here for the duration. So I can add a little bit to that. Um, uh, you know, the, the deal is that Andy uh, would, would give us up to a year as, as CEO, and, and if it's a bit longer than that, then fair enough. But it was definitely a, an interim scenario. What I would like to reassure people, though, that if and when Andy's period as interim CEO comes to an end, he will not be lost to Podpoint. It is the boards and the nominations committee clear intention uh, that when his, his, his current role comes to a conclusion that he returns to the board as a, a, a non-executive, whether he would be uh, defined as uh, independent or non-independent because he'd done the CEO job as interim, that's for the governance wonks to do to decide, but uh, either way, uh, he would not be lost to pod point. And I hope that that provides some reassurance to the questioner. Gareth, any any closing remarks from you? Not, not, not a massive tree of tea, should we pleased to hear. Uh, but but I think it's just to emphasize that it's been a, you know, a difficult period for us in the in the sense that uh, a change of, of, of leadership. I hope you can judge from today uh, the work that our internal team, uh, led by Andy and David, has, has, has done with obviously some very high-caliber uh, external assistance as well. And I, th I think that's translated into uh, a restatement, a refreshment, uh, a strategy now that is simple, it's direct, and I think it's very understandable. Uh, and uh, as I always uh, say, and, and people say, you're very boring, Davis, uh, but we now move into the most important phase, which is execution. And uh, that's what separates the, uh, the men from the boys and the girls from the women. So uh, uh, I wish the team luck, uh, and I think everyone in this room would wish them luck uh, with implementing and executing uh, this strategy in a very high caliber way. So I'd like to thank them for all the work they've done. It's been really very, very impressive. So I bring the, 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 the capital markets data to its conclusion. Hopefully what you see is a, a very sharply defined strategy that focuses on the things that we've historically been good at, extends that to include the new, the new opportunities with recurring revenue and flex. And it's something that everybody on, on this side of the room is, is absolutely focused on delivery. Thank you very much. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.